Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Gas prices are once again on the rise, reaching record highs, and it's adding to inflation woes. AAA says that the national average for regular gasoline rose to about $4.32 per gallon today. That's a fraction of a penny shy of the all-time high, which was set on March 11th. At the nation's capital, the gas price is higher today than it has been in the past seven years. AAA data shows gas costs are about 44 cents higher per gallon than they were one month ago in Washington, D.C. In another blow to the inflation outlook, diesel prices are also spiking. The national average hit another record of $5.54 per gallon. The volatility of the stock market has more experts signaling that a recession is on the horizon, if not already here. Congressman Buddy Carter of Georgia sits on the Committee on Energy and Commerce. We had a chance to speak with him earlier. Congressman Buddy Carter, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thank you for having me. Congressman, the uh, Fed raised the interest rate by half a percent. The market seemed to make a knee-jerk reaction up and then took a pretty serious decline. What do you make of all this? Well, first of all, let's keep in mind that uh, whenever the Federal Reserve increases the interest rate, obviously it hurts Americans. It, it makes borrowing money more expensive. It hurts um, uh, the, the home buying industry. There's no question about that. But it also hurts government. Keep in mind that because of the size of our federal debt, a half a point increase, the interest on that, that cost us $29 billion, just just like that in no time, $29 billion in interest as a result of a half a percentage point increase. Carson, when it comes to inflation, how sustainable is this and what steps can be taken to ease these rising prices? Well, first of all, it is not sustainable. We cannot, keep in mind that inflation has gone up every month of this administration. Every month that Joe Biden has been in office, inflation has gone up. Now, he wants to blame it on Putin. He wants to blame it on big oil. He wants to blame it on COVID. But the truth is, it's the policies. It's the policies that are causing this. And it's going to be the policies that, that get this straightened out. And if we don't straighten this out, if we have a decreasing economy and an increase in inflation, then we get stagflation, which I can remember back in the 70s that we had. Had, and and how how awful that was for for our whole economy. That's what we've got to avoid. But the truth is, is that elections have consequences and policies have consequences, and we are suffering the consequences of the Biden administration and the Democrats' policies now. Congressman, there seems to be a divide among experts when it comes to uh, whether or not we're entering into a, a recession. Some say it's inevitable. Others say there's a way out. What is your take? Well, certainly at this point, and, and with the market falling a thousand points yesterday, it looks like a recession is on the way. I hope, of course, that that's not the case. I hope that we can avoid it, and I'm going to do everything I can to, to help us to do that. But look, we have got to get our finances in order in this country. I'm a member of the Budget Committee, and, and right now we are $30 trillion in debt. I tell the story, and, and I'm not exaggerating. I have a six-year-old grandson, his first complete sentence when he was three years old, he looked at me and he said, we're how much in debt? 
And, you know, it's true. Here we are leaving our children, our grandchildren with $30 trillion in debt. This is intergenerational theft. We cannot do this. We have to cut up the credit cards in Washington, D.C. We've got to balance our budget. We've got to do something about our debt. And, you know, right now we're in the middle of the election season. All of us campaign on it. Everyone, Republicans, Democrats say we need to balance the budget. We need to retire our debt. And then we get to Washington, D.C. We don't do anything about it. That's got to change. We've got to make difficult decisions. We've got to do something about our national debt. Unfortunately, our economy is tied pretty tightly to the Chinese economy to a certain degree. So when the CCP locks down or takes measures, uh, Americans and American businesses also suffer. Do you think it's important to reconsider the way we do business with China? Well, let's keep in mind, and I always have to remind myself, China is not our competitor. They, they, are, they are not our adversary. They're our enemy. And we have to keep that in mind. Um, but at the same time, you are absolutely correct and spot on. Uh, our economies are, are tied together, whether we like it or not, whether we want it or not. And we have to acknowledge that and we have to address those type of issues. We, we run a risk right now in this country of the dollar no longer being the reserve currency in the world. And if that happens and if China takes over that title, we are in trouble, big time trouble. And this is, it, this is imminent. And, and something that we have got to deal with. Um, yeah, China, what happens in China's economy when, when they lock down Shanghai or when they have a lockdown in a city, that's, that's going to impact us. We all understand that. The world's economies are tied together, whether we like it or not. Congressman Buddy Carter, thank you. Thank you. Filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza premiered his latest documentary film, 2,000 Mules, at former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate last week. The film attempts to explore the possibility that widespread election fraud took place during the 2020 presidential election. Many critics of election fraud say that fraud takes place at every election and that 2020 was no different and that the fraud was not enough to move the needle in one direction or the other. We spoke to Dinesh D'Souza at the premiere and asked him why he thinks his film might paint a different picture. Because we've been hearing since November of uh, 2020 about anomalies. Trump won the bellwether counties, how come he didn't win the election? Or the vote count had Trump way ahead, how did it change suddenly in the next morning? Or cases of episodic fraud, fraud over here, fraud over there. But there hasn't been, as far as I know, a, a demonstration of systematic fraud, organized, coordinated, of a magnitude big enough to swing the election. D'Souza says his film is compelling because it uses state-of-the-art technology and video surveillance to show that election fraud took place on a scale large enough to tip the election. This is not affidavits, talk to Mr. Smith. It's, um, it's a combination of technological evidence, which is geo-tracking. That's your phone. And, um, and so that places the criminals at the scene of the crime. And then you have video evidence. The film featured Catherine Engelbrecht from True the Vote and election intelligence expert Greg Phillips. Engelbrecht explained to us how they were able to extrapolate and compile their findings. Well, I mean, the geospatial information is available in commercial markets, and because we own a technology company, we're familiar with the existence of the geospatial data and how to use it. We asked what reactions they received after people watched the film. 
from what we've heard from people that saw it in the on Monday night, we're getting all sorts of reactions from folks. Tears, anger, sort of sadness, just exasperation. People walking out with their mouths open like, what's going on? How could this have happened here in America? Another piece of the 2020 election puzzle is the January 6th detainees, many of whom who have been held without bail, raising questions over due process and the constitutionality of it all. We had a chance to speak to one of those detainees who called us from the Alexandria, Virginia jail where he is being held. Here's our interview with January 6th detainee, Jake Lang. Now, Jake, uh, you're joining us from uh, from jail right now. Um, I guess first would like to ask you where that is. And also, you know, we're going to get into January 6th in a moment. But if you could walk us through that day and what brought you uh, to the U.S. Capitol uh, prior to. Yeah, so I'm here in Alexandria, Virginia right now at a detention facility. I'm on 22-hour lockdown, solitary confinement in my cell, 22 hours a day. It's pretty much been the story. They've moved me around to a few different facilities from D.C. Gulag to um, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. And now I'm over here trying to just keep on jumbling me so I can't really get my bearings. And uh, so, yeah, it's been, you know, quite the journey. These last 17 months I've been illegally detained by my own country. And, and Jake, while you've been in there, what has your treatment been like? Uh, I mean, it's been horrendous in, in some situations I've even been assaulted by the guards for singing the national anthem I got thrown up against the wall punched in the gut um, at one point for singing the national anthem another time I got a whole can of pepper spray in my eyes for asking the guards for some mutual respect in the unit I've seen I mean some horrendous things since I've been um, locked up and it's just you know it's just so sad to see in our own country uh, the inside of the criminal justice system and, and you know, the, the, the prison system here is so corrupt and so bad. And then you double that with, you know, the political persecution that's happening to the conservatives and the patriots on January 6th, people that stood up for our country that day. And it's like, you know, it's a whole, it's a mess. It's a hurricane of, of, of tyranny. Jake, I want to ask you, were you part of any organization uh, that went to the Capitol specifically to overthrow the government on January 6th? No, I've, I've, I'm not part of any, and I've never heard of any such organization. All I've heard of is a bunch of brave Americans that stood up to support free and fair elections, you know, use our constitutional right to freedom of speech, to have a redress of our grievances, and were assaulted and ambushed by the Capitol Police. and. We decided to defend ourselves, and um, in my situation, as I was defending myself, um, Roseanne Boylan, 34-year-old, um, amazing patriot, uh, she died by the hands of the Capitol Police in my arms, and, um, you know, that she was unarmed. She was just using her First Amendment. She was just, uh, you know, there to support our president, support the Constitution, and she died in my arms, and I actually um, was able to also defend myself and defend a couple other people. There's two men that came forward and signed courtside affidavits that, claiming that I saved their life that day. Um, and you can see those videos of me um, actually dragging uh, lifeless, unconscious Philip Anderson um, out of the hands of the Capitol Police. They were trying to murder him as well. He died right, or he almost died right beside Roseanne Boylan. And um, those videos are on j6truth.org. Uh, go on there right now, check out those videos for yourself, j6truth.org. Jake, if you could just walk us through January 6th, um, you know, 
Give us an idea of your state of mind when you arrived, how the day uh, went for you, uh, what did you do when you got there, and, and just leading up to uh, the events that you're talking about. Yeah, I think that January 6th was a really unique atmosphere. I mean, most of the people that I've spoke to from January 6th say it was like the probably the biggest high they've had in their life as far as there was so much love in the atmosphere. Everyone was so peacefully united to, you know, underneath the same roof of values and, you know, American, you know, uh, freedom, liberty, respect for one another. And it was a really great atmosphere. And then we went over to the Capitol and we find ourselves in some sort of like um, ambush, as you call it, a honeypot or whatever. They, they came around us and they started throwing tear gas into the crowds. They were hitting us with rubber bullets, with pepper ball bullets, um, throwing flash grenades into you know peaceful crowd. And all of a sudden the crowd started to react and defend themselves because we're getting clubbed in the head by batons. And it just escalated so much from the police inciting this this, you know, breakout of people, we had to defend ourselves. I mean, people were literally, you know, dying around us. And it was, you know, basically defend yourself or get named and murdered. And so we decided to defend ourselves. And, you know, many of us, over 800 Americans find ourselves, you know, sitting at the arms of the Biden regime, you know, being tortured now because of it and being called domestic terrorists and white supremacists and all this nonsense. You know, we're just freedom-loving Americans who you know, got ambushed by the police, and the, the story is very simple. So I think, Jake, um, you know, there's so many different vantage points around the Capitol, and the situation was different um, in, in each point. You know, at the front of the Capitol, you had one situation uh, where it seems like at certain points people were just being waved in. Uh, behind the Capitol, you have a different situation. It sounds like the picture that you're just painting there is that it was a, a, more of a, a peaceful protest that turned... Uh, violent and it was a would you say that you guys were uh, just trying to stand your ground yeah I mean it was uh, at the West Terrace um, entrance there uh, right where the president comes out for his inauguration there was uh, like a semicircle of the police form and uh, with like you know gates up there and the people were around protesting you know peacefully this was already they were already throwing um, flash grenades into the, the crowd and pepper pepper spraying the crowd and stuff, but we were just protesting peacefully around that semicircle. But then the cops started to reach over the barriers with their batons, whack people in the head, drag, I personally witnessed um, them drag a woman up over the barrier, drag her back like 20, 30 feet, and then six cops surround her, kicking her in the head and really riling up the crowd. I mean, if you're a grown man watching that, watching a woman being kicked on the ground by six other grown men, you're gonna react a certain way. And so they, you know, singled out the women there, they singled out the elderly, and they abused us, and they did police brutality on us at such an egregious level that it garnished a response, a defensive response from the people. It's like, you know, when you're in a crowd outside, you can't really turn back around. People are swelling to the front, and then you're pressed up against with the police, and the police are beating you, and you're unarmed. You basically only have one option. You have to defend yourself. And so that was like the response of the crowd in mass, and it just kept on going from there. We find ourselves with, uh, you know, four dead unarmed American patriots uh, that day at the hands of the Capitol Police, and, and all of those people deserve vindication and justice and the killers deserve to be brought, you know, to trial. Jake, you've uh, described a, a pretty awful situation uh, since you have been detained. 
um, no bail, uh, some pretty horrendous conditions in, in treatment. Uh, you've obviously had a lot of time to ponder uh, everything. Um, why do you think that you are in this situation right now? I think that there is a absolute cabal plan for to demonize the American conservative, to demonize the American patriot, and that they use this like they use the Rashtag fire in Russia to go after their political opponents. And now they have one thing, the Democrat Party, the liberals have one thing they can lean back on and rely and say, you know, this is why we're persecuting uh, conservatives in this country, January 6th. And so I find myself in the middle of like a, a political pawn that the Democrats are using us to, I mean, they have nothing else to rely on to say, oh, domestic terrorism, and this, this, that. And it wasn't even close to that kind of situation. They built up their narrative on a bed of lies. And, you know, we've exposed those lies on j6truth.org. And so they're just clinging on to the only thing they have, praying that this will help them influence their midterm elections. But, you know, it's actually done quite the opposite. We have a huge outpouring of support from the people who know the truth of January 6th, the, you know, millions upon millions of Americans across the country who support January 6ers, who say that, you know, we were right for standing up, we were right for holding our ground, we were right for defending ourselves. And so it's actually become a point in, in the country where there's a, a massive kind of, uh, you know, fidelity change in that people who support the January Sixers are the true patriots in this country. And they know that, you know, freedom isn't free. And sometimes, you know, you got to stand up and do what's right. Jake, is there any timetable for your uh, trial? Uh, what, what, where is the uh, light at the end of the tunnel for you at, at this point? Uh, yeah, they're, they're setting my trial for um, January 2023. So I'll be in incarcerated for two years. Um, there's no right to a speedy trial anymore in America. There's no right to religious services in prison. You can't get your hair cut. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. They're using COVID as if like a blinder to just absolutely just desecrate the, the Bill of Rights. And this, we, have, we don't really have any rights in prison anymore, um, especially political prisoners like the January 6th or so. Yeah, I'm looking at two years um, until I go to trial and they won't even give me bond. They're giving mass murderers and, and you know, all these robbers and, and all these people across the country um, bonded you know, in every single situation, there's like a revolving door. But for January 6th political prisoners, you know, over 50 of us are still being held without bond. That's really incredible when you put things into perspective. Um, Jake, I just want to ask you, you mentioned a documentary uh, that's coming out. Uh, tell us what the name is and also uh, what can we expect to see in, in that film? Yes. So we have a groundbreaking documentary coming out called The Truth of January 6th. It's hosted on j6truth.org. It's going to be showing about 45 minutes of never-before-seen footage of the Capitol. It really gives you the true narrative from the actual perspective of the protesters there and how we were you know, ambushed and assaulted and incited into defending ourselves. And it's, uh, I mean, if you, if you watch one video on January 6th, this is the video you have to watch because it shows the raw truth. And so that's being launched uh, Tuesday on our, our website, j6truth.org. And, you know, I really implore your audience to go check it out, to watch for their own eyes. You know, 
we're, we're constantly, you know, telling people the narrative, but it's better for them to see it themselves and make up their own opinion. Jake Lang, thank you so much for joining us from uh, an Alexandria, Virginia jail. Thank you so much for having me. God bless the audience and, you know, stay strong. The hope's not lost.